Hey there, welcome to Souls and Hearts Be With the Word. This is the podcast where Dr. Peter and I reflect on the Sunday readings and try to bring a psychological element to them and give you some action items on maybe how you can um, allow these readings to really influence your life. So I'm Dr. Jerry Crete. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Dr. Peter Malinowski, a clinical psychologist in Indianapolis, Indiana. Good to see you, Dr. Peter. It is good to see you, Dr. Jerry. It is always good to see you, but it's great to be able to spend a little time together and to spend time with you, our audience, as well. Uh, thank you for being here with us. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, uh, oh, and I forgot to mention that you can go over to Hear the Word and listen to us or one of us read these readings uh, to you if you'd like to get the, the full context. I think it's a really good idea to do that or at least to read the readings. Uh, we'll try to contextualize them, though, as much as, as we can. And these are the readings from the 26th Sunday of Ordinary Time. And the title of this podcast is Choosing Unity Without Losing Integrity. Well, how do we, how do we go about topic. doing that? Yeah. So yeah. it is, it, and it, we've got some excellent readings here uh, from, from Ezekiel we start out. And, you know, here, um, here, we have Ezekiel speaking for God, saying to the Israelites, you say the Lord's way is not fair, right? So here the Israelites have been crying out, basically accusing God of being unjust to them, right? And, and so it's interesting because um, this whole section in Ezekiel is all about individual responsibility, individual responsibility. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, wow, that's a, that's an interesting concept. And I wonder kind of what struck you about sort of that individual responsibility, Dr. Jerry, when you well, read that. I do think it's interesting because there is sort of a, a, seems to be a tension at times in various scriptures where you get the sense that people's um, parents or grandparents or I don't know, what's the seven generations or whatever um, <laughs> is all going to be affect you. Right. That, that it will um, that is already determined that, you know, you're going to suffer for the sins of your of your uh, ancestors. But actually, in Ezekiel here, it says if he turns from the wickedness he has committed he do- and does what is right and just, he shall preserve his life. So there's this individual you can break away from those patterns. I think there's there are ch- patterns like if you look at generational trauma, you can see patterns of things that just keep replaying cycles. But and, and I think sometimes the Bible is reflecting that truth, but here that that happens, whereas here it's saying but you, you don't have to live in that place. You don't have to stay stuck. Exactly. I mean, here and that may be something that's really difficult for us in the Western world to grip onto. If you're a U.S. citizen or Canadian, it can be hard to understand, like how it could seem like you're really locked into castes you know, almost like in the, in the old world, mm-hmm. you know, and also it's not just the sins of the fathers, but it's also the merits of the fathers, right? Cause there was a huge uh, emphasis on kind of your birth, like where you were born, right? Almost like an aristocracy, like mm-hmm. I'm better than other people because of the, because of the merits of my fathers. And so, you know, our Lord comes out in our, our God comes out here and says, you know what, it is really about what you do and what you don't do. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this in terms of determinism psychologically, 
right? Freud, for example, was really deterministic. He thought that the way that you were up, you, that you were brought up, had a huge impact throughout your whole life on um, on um, on your on your lifespan, right? Like there was what, what was called psychic determinism. Mm. And while it is true that parents have a huge impact on the upbringing of their children, it's not deterministic. Right. Um, and, and so I just thought, huh, that's kind of an interesting parallel. Sometimes you see that sometimes you see clients say, well, you know, there's nothing I can do because of the way I was brought up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I, I mean, it's so interesting about Freud, you know, cause I think about you, you're, you're probably more familiar with his theory than I am because you, you, your focus was clinical psychology. I practice as a psychodynamic psychologist. Yeah, yeah, I never have. I never. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, the way I re- remember it, right, would be that um, you know he saw that there were sexual stages that you right. had to get through, and if you didn't, you stayed right. stuck forever, kind of deal. Right. Um, so the idea, even there, there's an idea that if you break out of that, you you have to move to the next stage, right? right. And then you've got Erickson and others who have different stages. Right, right, that weren't tied to necessary sex. It could be something else. But nevertheless, if you don't actually do something to unbreak that stuckness, <laughs> to get unstuck, you would stay there. Right. And so, you know, I think I think this is just a great exposition of like, just yeah, we have freedom, but mm-hmm. along with that freedom, you know, there comes hope, but there also comes this responsibility. Right. And so I often think about this as we're not going to be judged by the um, by the hand we're dealt. We're going to be judged by how we play that hand. Yeah. And, you know, every hand can be a winner. Right. When I when I played bridge, I loved playing duplicate bridge because in duplicate bridge, all the hands are preset. And so you and your partner are, are judged not by the luck of the draw but how well you play those exact same hands against all the other partners. Um, and so, um, so it takes the element of luck out of it. Right? It yeah. makes it more of an even playing field. I've never heard so, that. I've, yeah. I've, I've never advanced to true playing bridge. I've only, I've been stuck <laughs> at Euchre. <laughs> Canadian, you know, we all play Euchre. I don't know if they do in Indiana. But, uh, <laughs> well, this was when I was in graduate school, and mostly I played bridge when I was supposed to be studying for finals. It was a way of like, uh, okay, <laughs> but, um, that's a yeah. highbrow game to play as a former professional. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was. requires a lot of thought. <laughs> it does, it does, but that's even better for distracting yourself from the work that you really ought to be uh, doing in college. So, but um, you know what's hitting me though, like. Uh, I don't know if you ever do this uh, in your practice as a family therapist. We do this a lot as we do genograms mm-hmm. and the genograms like a family tree, right? For anybody listening doesn't know, like it's a family tree that you draw that is like, you know, you show your parents and their parents and your children and, and on a normal, on a genogram for therapists, you're, you're not, you're noting certain things in particular, like divorces or deaths and, uh, addictions and different things. And I actually remember doing my own genogram at one point, right? You know, uh-huh. school, you have to do your own. And I remember noticing um, how much divorce was in my family. Like that, you know, that my grandparents had divorced. And then I noticed that their, my great grandparents, although they, you didn't divorce back then, um, had separated. And then out of a lot of kids, <laughs> Because um, there, there were my, I think my parents, uh, sorry, my grandparents had 
on my maternal side. I had nine kids. Out of all those kids, there were, I think there were only two marriages that survived. Wow. And so it was the first time it hit me looking at that. There was like, oh my gosh, there's a pattern of divorce or at least of marriages that didn't work. So it was a yeah. really big thing to me, right? Right, to have a successful marriage. Yeah, like I wanted to break out of that pattern. I think people, I say this a lot. They grossly underestimate two things. They grossly underestimate how much of an impact parents have on upbringing and family, extended family too. But they also grossly underestimate how much we have the capacity to change, right? How we're not locked into that. I think what happens sometimes though, is that people, um, they don't do the things they need to do to break out of the patterns that they're familiar with. There's a kind of comfort in the familiarity of the dysfunction we know, right? right? And yeah. so, you know, even though it may be problematic, you know, we, we know how to navigate somewhat in those waters. It's frightening to break into new territory. So, um, you know, so yeah, so the, often you do see that and it can look deterministic, but it's actually not, it's actually not. Right. And there are graces that God provides, you know, for people that really want to, um, to, 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 change and it grow. seems to me that it's deter it can be deterministic if you just if you're not leading a thoughtful life where you're reflecting on it and you're praying and you're working on yourself at least and right. trying to you know what i mean like in other words we're just going to naturally like we're going to keep doing what we do or what we've seen what we've known if if if, if we don't do have any thought to it at all right. but when we actually take some time like like looking at that genogram for example i'm going well there's a pattern here <laughs> right. you know, and or looking at our lives and seeing, you know, where we came from and saying, wow, how do I want to break cycles? Right. Sometimes that's and, of trauma and addiction, right? We break cycles right. of those things. Well, that's a perfect lead into the responsorial Psalm because this is one of the Davidic Psalms. This is King David singing in Psalm 25, mm -hmm. you know, and he's saying, remember your mercies. And you know, the one line out here that really struck me was, the sins of my youth and my failed and my frailties remember not, mm. right? So it's prominent to David that he has <laughs> screwed it up, right? He's had huge successes, you know, slaying Goliath, leading Israel, but he's also had these huge failures, right? Where he has, you know, essentially uh, committed murder in order to steal another man's wife, you know, the Uriah, yeah. right? And so, <laughs> you know, and he, you know, he is the one that is, he's repenting, right? He's taking responsibility mm -hmm. for his life in these Psalms and he's singing his heart out to God. I sometimes wish that I could understand you know, the languages. And I wish I had the music with which David originally composed these. I bet it would just be like so moving to actually hear him sing this. I bet. Now, now we've got a rendition in, you know, in the New American Translation, New American Bible Translation, you know, that's uh, black and white. Uh, it can seem less, Some, I'm sure there's something lost there, right? You know, than when David actually performed, you know, when he actually sang this, so. Yeah, yeah. But I love the lines in that same psalm. He guides the humble to justice and teaches the humble his way. So there is a requirement of humility in this, which is what he does. Right. He owns it. Right. He's not hiding from his past. And he's basically, you know, he's asking the Lord to forget it. But but he's coming from a spirit of humility. And isn't that what we have to do? 
every day is approach all these things with humility, um, which is psychologically difficult for us when we tend to either be oblivious on one hand or defensive on the other hand, right? Right, right. Because it, there's some vulnerability, right, in being humble, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of have to open yourself up uh, when you're being humble in relationship. And But again, what does it say, right? He, God shows sinners the way. He guides the humble to justice. He teaches the humble his way. And so the corollary to that is the proud, you know, right. he, they don't get those things. They don't get, they don't get those benefits, right? They don't get that treatment from God. They're left to their own devices. He knows the proud from afar, yeah. right? And that's not because he doesn't want to be close to the proud. It doesn't mean he doesn't love the proud. It means that the proud won't let him near. Right. Because what they've got going on doesn't coexist well with God. Mm-hmm. Right. God can't can't in, intrude. He can't invade. So that takes us know, a little bit to St. Paul's right in the Philippians. Exactly. He, he right. like humility as well. Right. Right. So, you know, in there, what's really striking is, you know, regard others as more important than yourself. Looking out. Um, for not your own interests, but the interests of your brothers, right? Your brothers and sisters, you know, not out of selfishness, not out of vainglory. It's interesting because he's really begging us to be of one, to be of the same mind, to be united in heart, to have this unity of spirit. And that's something that I am just seeing so compromised in our Catholic world today, and especially in the U.S., just this this devaluing of unity of spirit. And um, I don't know if you have the same experience where you are, but man, there's so much division, a lot of infighting right now going on in parishes around masks, no masks, you know, about, you know, kind of how to handle, you know, this COVID thing. You know, there's just... You know, there's there's infighting about, you know, everything from the pope to the local bishops and their responses to various, you know, to various things going on in the world. And I just I just I just hear this call over and over again in scripture from our Lord, from St. Paul about unity. And I wanted to get into that a little bit more. I wanted yeah. to get into, what did that mean? Right. Because, uh, you know, there was a concern that it might mean that we all have to think the same way. We have to hold the same opinions about things. But that's not what it means. As I dived into this, unity of spirit does not mean similarity of ideas. It doesn't mean that we sort of all think exactly the same way. You know, being of the same mind, he's, you know, with the same love, united in heart, you know, where we really are valuing the other person as being in the mystical body of Christ, you know, that that other person is, you know, that we're seeing Christ in that other person and we're respecting that, you know, I was thinking about what gets in the way of that, you know, how does our emphasis on radical individuality, rugged individualism, how can that lead us, right, sometimes to really start devaluing other people uh, and then bringing in the relationship killer, which is contempt, you know, right. yeah, no, in, in, in Georgia, we're all united in mind and spirit. <laughs> yeah. Perfect harmony here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, of course. And, and I think it's hard because I think what happens is we lose our ability to 
even try to understand where the other person is coming to coming from. Um, I'm going to give a personal example that might be sort of common or, or, or simple, but it just literally just happened to me uh, the other day. And I was driving with my wife and I forget what it was, but I took, I criticized someone else driving close behind me, which opened the door apparently for her to criticize my driving. <laughs> and it really flooded me surprisingly with with negative feelings like of like I really didn't like being criticized I really and there was such a strong part of me wants to say hey have you ever been in the car with you before because you do all those things right and that you're accusing me of in fact I think you're worse you know but <laughs> it would have been helpful for me to have said that so, um, but you know what I mean? Like, what would it mean for me to accept that she has that experience of me sometimes? Right. right. And even if it's not 100% of the time, in my opinion, or it's rare or whatever, it's it has been her experience. But there's something in me that doesn't want to um, accept her experience. Right. Because I want to cling to something else. I want to cling in that moment. I was criticizing someone else's driving. I wanted right. to cling to my belief that the way I drive is okay. And everybody else on the road is terrible. <laughs> right. And I think right. in that example, it's like, oh my gosh, that's so true. But when we think about things you're talking about, like masks and church bishops right. and what they do or don't do, I think the same internal thing happens where we're right. And we know what everybody, how everybody else should be. And we cannot tolerate someone poking something at us. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think these self-protective mechanisms come up, you know, because I don't think that, I think it's easy sometimes for Catholics to just reduce everything down to pride or to, um, you know, the seven deadly sins and look at it just purely from a spiritual perspective, you know, but I think there are psychological things that come in here as well, where, um, you know, where it's mixed up with these vices, right? Um, and so, you know, for me to get puffed up and to get big, you know, and to be proud, there's a lot of self-protection in that. Right. I'm, I'm actually when I do that, it's because I'm afraid of being wounded in some way. And so, you know, these admonitions that we see throughout all of the readings, all of them right today is humility. Right. It's to can we be small enough and what does it take to be small enough? Well, it takes trust that we have a loving father, that we have a loving mother. If we can have the relationship with God that we ought to have is as beloved sons and daughters, it makes it so much easier to be humble. You know, that's what we've been talking about in the um, Resilient Catholics Carpe Diem community. There's been some podcasts on that uh, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, there was one on how small should we be really, where we really get into how small are we supposed to be. And if you're that small, you know, you don't have that far to go when you fall, right? It's like, boop, you know, you know, toddlers say fall down. It's not a big deal, right? Because they're small. And I think that's one of the things that has been really eye-opening for me in the last year. So I'm, just... I'm curious when you say becoming small, and I know you're drawing on uh, Therese, St. Therese, I think Therese. a lot of that. Um, but when you say that, I think different people are going to hear that differently. I right. think that I know for you and your temperament, it makes a lot of sense to me right. because it, it helps, right? Like you might have a more 
you're very comfortable saying what you think a lot. And I know that, um, and, and that might cause problems sometimes. I might come from a perspective where I fail to say what I think. Right. 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 Almost like I'm, and I don't know if that's what you're talking about because I think that, but I could read that as stop, be, stay, stay small, stay not sharing what you think. Right. And, and well, I would some say, people might I, have that problem. They might, they might have that problem. But again, think about a little kid who is feeling secure, right? They'll talk about anything. You know, they'll share what, what's on their mind. You know, right. I'm talking about small, but in a, in a loving relationship, in a, right. in a, in a relationship with protective others. Yeah. But I see what you're saying. People, and it doesn't mean that you're just going to be small in all aspects of your life. We're talking specifically about being small in the relationship with God. I mean, yeah, we all have responsibilities. We have to be adults at work and our roles, right, right. you know, as parents or whatever, but, but yeah, with our, with our beloved father, I think a lot of times what we want to do is have God be like our co-pilot, right? Oh, we want to be big. With you know? God, I get that. <laughs> yeah, with yeah, God, I get yeah. that. I'm thinking of others, you know, like in my example of driving in the car, there was an element where I probably had to get small also. Right. Um, and let, but I feel like it was less getting small and more like letting go of my need to be right. Right. Um, well, that's one of the beautiful things about kids, though. Little kids don't need to be right. They're very open to not being right, to learning, to trying something else out. You know, so I think some of that childlike wonder, some of that openness is kind of what God is or what our Lord is saying when he says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God is made up of such as these. Yeah. Um, it yeah. makes everything go so much easier, you know. Um, so I, yeah. I just think there is an element to the smallness that I just want to emphasize if, if I'm right, if it's what you're right. saying, which is right. about, which is actually liberating. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's so much easier. It's so much easier if we actually allow ourselves that to be that kind of small. Right. Um, which is not the same as being a doormat or just muff, no. muzzling yourself. This kind no. of thing. Right. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. That does, that's not what it means at all. Although I think you're right. People often misinterpret it that way. And for some people being small, I mean, it, for a lot of people, that just seems really dangerous. Right. Because right. when they were small, things didn't go well. And when they really started to like try to advocate for themselves or try to, you know, be big enough, they actually had some measure of self-protection there. And so it's counterintuitive to actually be small. You know, and it's, it's amazing here too that in that reading, then Paul goes on to talk about Christ emptying Himself, taking right. on the form of his, like in a sense. So that's a total surrender, of course, of his whole life. And yes. so you can't, I can't imagine being more small than that in a sense, especially for the second person of the Trinity. Um, you know, to humble himself in that way, and yet. So, so to me, there's a surrender as difficult and as painful, obviously, as that was, um, there, it is, it is a, there is a liberation, uh, and, and obviously an ultimate glorification that happens as a result of that obedience, as a result of that humility. Well, man, he did that because he loves us. And I think if we can remember that our, uh, that our two great commandments are to love God and to love our neighbor. I mean, that's where the unity of spirit has to happen, right? So when I am thinking critical thoughts in mass about how somebody else is dressed or are they, you know, are they behaving, you know, are they managing their children well or whatever I might happen to be thinking in church, right? Am I, 
am I, am I loving that person or am I indulging in something, you know, am I, you know, puffing my own self up? Am I, um, am I avoiding something, you know, right. what's, what's going on with that? And can we, can we bring that unity that our Lord talks about so much and that unity that St. Paul is talking about, that unity of spirit, can we ground that in love? And like, what's getting in the way of that? What is getting in the way of that for us? Yeah. Well, do we want to say something about the gospel? Because it's kind of an interesting. I think we should say something about the gospel. Yeah. Jerry, I think we should. Yeah. So what what got you? I mean, so we're in this theory. Is it this theory? I was. We're talking about integrity. We're talking about unity. What's. It's these two sons. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and so. You know, the dad asked them to go work, right? So I could really relate to this one. Not that I have two sons, this, but I have kids and stuff. And and one says no. He just says no. He's not going <laughs> to, right? Which is so interesting, right? And 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 then, but then afterward, he actually does do it. And and I and and I'm wondering about that person. I think that's an interesting dynamic, right? There's a lot of us. Our initial thought is no. But we process it, we take some time, and then we go, okay, I'm going to do it. You know, it's the right thing or something. But then the other guy says yes and doesn't do it, which scares me because I wonder how many times I've done that, right? I I wonder if I'm saying yes because I want to please him. Right. Uh, But in fact, I don't know, in this case, is the guy says yes but doesn't really intend to, or does he intend to and he just just flakes? But, But that's that's the guy who ends up being the one in scrutiny here in this parable. Right. 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 Uh, so who am I in that? Right. And, 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 and being true to my word, I don't know how that relates to our topic. I guess we have to connect it to you choosing unity, but, but it, it does reflect integrity. Right. 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 And, and I think a lot of times what you're saying is, is dead on, right? People get distracted, you know, people get um, caught up in other things. People get afraid you know, and they don't follow through. And then others are like, you know what? I actually am going to, I actually am going to follow through. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so it really matters where we are at the moment of our death. Right. You think about the thief on the cross, right. Who repented. Right. And what was our Lord's statement to him? This day you shall be with me in paradise. Right. This is a mm-hmm. guy with a, you know, with a, with a criminal history. Right. Uh, who had been mocking Jesus you know, depending on how you interpret the different gospels, but then had some kind of conversion experience and defended him against wow. the other, the other criminal. Now, I think the subtext here is almost certainly Jewish Gentile, right? Like, so you have the Jews were the ones that said yes, and they were the promised ones, but they didn't actually say. Oh, yes, right, yes. right. And then the, because the, then the Gentiles did come through and then and then he goes on to talk about tax collectors and prostitutes making it in when in fact the righteous don't so here to me is a very frightening condemnation for us christians because to me says you you believe in christ yes you're gonna be a good christian yes but then we actually don't do anything with it at all right and we're gonna be surprised at who god does you know, um, we, we could be surprised, right? And who actually is listening to what God is wanting of them. And in this case, tax collectors and prostitutes, in other words, not who we expect, right? So there's a scary condemnation. Are we really following the path of Christ or are we all cut up in ourselves? Right. 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 
Well, so my family, we were at, we were in a, a sort of a major metropolitan area. I'm not going to say where about a year ago. And, um, you know, we'd gone to mass there and, uh, and you know, the gospel was on, you know, something about loving your neighbor. I can't remember exactly, but in the parking lot afterward, because this is one of those parishes that has room for like, you know, 1500 people, 2000 people, something like this big, big parish. Uh-huh. And, um, and the fight to get out of the parking lot was like, <laughs> I mean, it was like, wow, this is really interesting, right? The kids were even noticing, like, oh, dad, why are people driving this way? Right. You know, and, uh, you know, so, so it's an example of like, hey, we've got to really integrate this. Because I'll tell you something, Dr. Jerry, I've said this a lot. A lukewarm Catholic looks a lot like a lukewarm agnostic, looks a lot like a lukewarm uh, Muslim, looks a lot like a lukewarm Jew. Because the lukewarmness, right, the lack... The, the worldliness um, is what's predominant, right? And so, again, it may not matter that much what you profess to believe if you're actually not living that out. And to link that to what you were mentioning, you were talking about masks and this and that, and, and you know, and right. there's politics going on, there's all this stuff, divisions, and, our, and we treat some, I'm not even professing a particular position right now when I say this, but we treat other people who have a different position like in within, especially within our own church, worse than we would treat. Right. Like if we invited a group of atheists for some reason into our home, we would treat them with respect. Right. We would know they have different opinions than us and we would engage with them maybe and, you know, politely and in a friendly right. manner. And yet if it's a brother Christian, brother Catholic, and they say something that we don't like, that we we said not i'm not saying you me necessarily right. but, but often we treat them like like we're ready to throw them out into the curb and kick them in the face like we're not acting right. with any charity right. in those conversations right. and especially on social media let's just say people go a little yeah with social media exactly that's 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 a whole different that's a whole different ball game altogether but yeah i mean i think with the mask thing for example there are people that believe it's immoral to not wear a mask and there are people that believe it's immoral to wear a mask right all professing the same catholic faith right um there are people that believe that it's immoral to uh, vote for president trump and in the re-election there are people that think it's immoral not to right so you know there's all kinds of you know divisive things that can come up and i think what we need to remember is that we have very limited vision you know we need to have the humility to know that our vision is limited and that our ways are not god's ways Right? His thoughts are not our thoughts. Going back to last week, right, um, in the, the 55th chapter of Isaiah, and to really take a breath and say, you know what, I'm imperfect too, and what can I do to be united with this person? How can we be united together? And that sort of leads us into our action item. Mm-hmm. You know, that really kind of leads us into our action item, which is really about um, taking the individual responsibility to make an examination of conscience. And there's great resources on the internet around the general examination of conscience and the particular examination of conscience. But I'm gonna ask you to really take a look at this in the sense of a particular examination of conscience around how you are impacting the unity of the church, you know, with the people around you, right? How do you support, how have you been supporting unity in your parish, in your family, you know, in your, in the Catholics around you. And then also this question of how have you been undermining it? How have you been 
undermining that. That could be internal. Like for me, a lot of times I don't voice criticism of others, but I run a script in my head, right? And I kind of like indulge in that, you know, and that's not helping me love that person. Um, and so, you know, Satan loves to sow disunity. He loves to sow division. He wants to divide because it makes it easier to conquer individual Christians then. And so we don't want to do his work for him, right? We want to actually, um, we actually want to bring this into uh, our, uh, our prayer and into our consideration because of how important it was to our Lord, you know, and how important it comes up in scripture over again, be one unity, unity in spirit. It doesn't mean you have to agree with your, your brother or sister in the parish about masks or about the president or about any of that. Um, but it does mean that we see them as a son of God or a daughter of God. So how can we, and what's getting in the way of that? Is it jealousy? Is it envy? Is it fear? Right? Is it, uh, is it a need to be superior to that person? You know, what is that? And then that's, that can give you some guidance as to what you can be doing to, um, to, to, to help get over that. So I love it. I love it. Thank you. By the way, I have a little plug. It just occurred to me that actually fits this theme really well. Oh, well tell us what it is. It's okay. I'm going to be, I just finished doing the video and I'm going to be on Pines with Aquinas' apologetics virtual conference coming up in October. And you can send more information in the tagline or in the, you know, the skim. If you're on soulsandhearts.com, you get our weekly skim. If you sign up and subscribe and get more information on it. But I'm actually the topic because it's an apologetics conference. So I'm super excited about it because it's actually not about psychology in particular. So it's just kind of fun to do something different. And I used to do more apologetics way back when. But um, my topic is actually why I didn't choose to be Eastern Orthodox. Which sound, you know, which is meant to be a little bit catchy, you know, and a little bit right. contentious just in the title, right. I find. But the real goal is, you know, uh, is a message of unity and unity. hopefully um, a bridge between, you know, the Catholic Church and our separated uh, brethren in the Orthodox churches, uh, Eastern churches. And, 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 and I hopefully offer some ways to get their perspective on it. So... I hope you all, if you're listening, will join me in, in that and, and all the other great speakers. It's going to be amazing speakers. There's an amazing lineup for that. I mean, Dr. Jerry is like rubbing shoulders there with some of the biggest names in the Catholic world. So it's like really impressive what you're doing there. Oh, I, I'm, I'm like, wow. Wow. <laughs> I get to be, I get to be like, you know, even like in the same show with Dr. Jerry. <laughs> all right. Now you're being silly. <laughs> <laughs> No, but seriously, big, big names. It's worth checking out. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. But uh, yeah, so so look forward to that and, and all of our other Souls and Hearts things. But I don't know that you finished your thought there in terms of this action item. No, so that's basically it. I mean, I to, to look at your motives, our motives are usually mixed, right? Um, and really to see, like, how can you be loving and growing in unity? You know, is there an argument you don't have to get into with somebody in the parish that you mm. know that? you've gotten into before, you know, is there some way that you can pray for them, some way that you can find some common ground to build up the unity of the church, um, the unity of your parish, um, instead of, instead of, uh, working towards, uh, you know, 
tearing yeah. it down. So, yeah. which I think it's easy to do. And we do it out of a sense of this integrity, right? I won't be maintaining my integrity if I listen to this man spout this nonsense, right? No, you can listen to somebody and it doesn't imply that you're agreeing with them. It doesn't violate your integrity. Although sometimes I think people really have this sense that it does. There's some, yeah. some malformation of conscience around that. So I find if you actually do listen to someone attentively, even if you disagree with them and you show that you're really trying to understand why right. they're not to where they are and that you right. care about them as a person, right? I think they're way more likely to then listen to where you're coming from. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah. if you just go on the attack, they're, they're, they'll just go on the defense and that'll be it. You might have seen that in one or two of the couples you've seen in marital therapy over the years. Never. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, it has been like great to do the show with you. I'm really glad that y'all are, are with us. Don't hesitate to, you know, email us if you've got, uh, you know, comments or suggestions. Check out Souls and Hearts. Uh, and, you know, do all that typical stuff that we talk about, like, subscribe, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff that helps us out. So we'd love to love to have yeah. you. And if you are interested in this being small thing, check out, um, I think it was, I don't know, episode 30 and 31 about like being small. Like if that's something that interests you, check out the uh, Coronavirus Crisis Carpe Diem uh, podcast that I do. Those particular two episodes were on that. So if that piqued your interest, check that out. So. Sweet. Awesome. Great. Right. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing you next week on Be With The Word, and we look forward to hearing certainly any comments you might have. Please subscribe. Please like. Please especially share. Let people know if you like our content. Let's get it out there to the larger Catholic community. Um, and, uh, and we'd love to hear your comments. All right. All right. Till next time, be still. Believe. Be loved. Be loved. Take good care. God bless you all.